0: I'd be saying that materialism, which is in itself we need it and we will always need, the kind of things, the material things, but materialism does not measure the health of our families or our children or our society. I think we need to have a serious look at connections. What are the connections now that could shape us into the future, both socially and spiritually?
1: I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being the why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my Self-Development Club to learn more and to sign up. Visit drmarkrow.com. I'm really delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Father Harry Bowen. Harry is an Irish Catholic priest, sociologist, author, social entrepreneur and former manager of the Clare Hurling team, amongst many other talents. He was manager of the Clare Hurling team in the 1970s. They won two national leagues. I remember listening to uh, the commentary of one of those on on radio with my late father and being live at the other one. He was also a selector with Anthony Daly at one stage. And in 2006, he was recognized for his services to Hurling by receiving a special award. Harry has also been an advocate and campaigner for rural Ireland. He set up the Rural Resource Centre. He was involved in the building of more than 2,000 houses in rural Ireland in the 1970s. He set up uh, the CAFIN Centre as an innovative thought centre for discussing the changes uh, in Ireland at the end of the 20th century. As a good friend said to me recently when I said I was going to be interviewing Harry Bone, she said, Harry Bone is a man who was ahead of his time. Harry, you're very welcome to the doctor's chair. Thanks, Mark.
0: What kind of Ireland, Harry, have you come from? What kind of Ireland were you reared in? Well, I was reared in the 40s and 50s in an Ireland that was um, very little change except the major one of immigration, And that was, I suppose, the scourge of the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. And that brought us in to the modern Ireland of the 60s when the the change was obviously needed. And uh, I suppose basically I was sent off after I was ordained to the University of Wales to study change because the then bishop said to me, Ireland is changing. Mm -hmm. Even though people said bishops didn't know what was going on, but that's what he said. And I want the priest to have a look at all that change. And I spent... A couple of years in the doing postgraduate stuff in the University of Wales. It was basically looking at Britain had gone through a hundred years of industrialization. We were only starting mm. then. So what were the changes that were going to come with that? What were the changes that were coming going to come with opening up through the wider world through television and free education in the 1960s? So, in other words, the 60s was an extraordinary decade Mm. that changed the face of Ireland in many ways.
1: And what are the main changes that you would reflect on now throughout your lifetime, Harry?
0: Well, I suppose the first thing I'd be saying, and going back to that period, that the 60s saw Ireland experiencing, as I said, enormous change. And I suppose I'd actually describe it like this, that there are moments in history when a society of people are called upon to reinvent themselves almost. And I do believe that Ireland was reinvented in that decade, in the 60s, and fallen up from there. The 60s was the time when when Ireland got that call, that's the way I describe it, to reinvent itself. And it started with, of all people, the Secretary of the Department of Finance, T.K. Whittaker, who wrote the first economic plan for Ireland, and that was the beginning. That was the first economic plan that Ireland experienced. So that was the very beginning. Mm. And that the other thing to do when you asked me the question about the big changes, that since that time, Irish society has been busy constructing an economy. And I suppose that's the key from that period. We were, we were busy constructing an economy, and, and, but for very good reasons. Because people might tend to say that maybe we need to be careful about overstating that. Because prior to that period, emigration had drained the lifeblood out of especially rural Ireland, but indeed of Ireland itself. Oh, absolutely. With 50 or 60,000 people emigrating every year. And I was in school just prior to that in the 50s. And most of my schoolmates emigrated. Mm-hmm. So that, like, that brought home to me that how serious this emigration thing was. And prior to that, again, we had the decades, which could be described as the period in the aftermath of the famine. There was still a lot of poverty around linked mm-hmm. into the emigration, and there was a lot of joblessness around, in other words, and places, a lot of places were dying. So that was the first big thing that hit me as I was growing up. But the response came, came in the 60s, and this is the next big change. And it came in this, that up to that decade, Ireland was predominantly an agricultural country. Mm. In other words, uh, you, it was an agricultural country with agrarian values. Like, I was born and reared through that, a lot of that period. Uh, and they were very much to the fore. So that was a a hugely significant decade. And then in the 60s, what I would describe as we experienced three mini-revolutions, the Industrial Revolution, the Communications Revolution, and the Education Revolution. They were massive. Like most people, just think of now we take free education for granted, or what we call free education for granted. I went to secondary school and my parents had to pay for all all of that. Mm. And the same with my brothers and sisters as well. So, in other words, after the decades of forced emigration, I suppose many Irish people stayed at home now for the first time for work. And many people came back from England, the States and other places. So that was huge. And that was a huge change, So with all of that, Mm -hmm. I suppose there was a significant uh, shift in values followed from all of that. Ireland changed. Now the Vatican Council, the church introduced the Vatican Council, a worldwide movement to bring the church into line with with modernity, generally with the Western world as well. But unfortunately, The Irish bishops at the time, and I always put this down to a massive mistake. The Irish bishops came back from that council in Rome and uh, the men, the senior men among them said there will be no change here. In other words, the church then had lots of priests and uh, the church was then very powerful Mm -hmm. in a whole lot of ways, but never, ever wanted to foresee the changes that would be happen, except the odd one, and I was very fortunate to have one of them who sent me off to study it.
1: Mm, that was very, that was very forward thinking, wasn't it, for the time? But, for you to be sent sent away to to study
0: change exactly. And and I suppose the bishop then that when I came back to Ireland, was the bishop then uh, gave me huge support. But I'm sure, and I'm fairly sure that a lot of priests and a lot of other priests. People were asking, what's a priest doing looking at all that? Looking at the world of economics and looking at the world of industrialization. And uh, I suppose in many ways, even though I loved it, I was aware that uh, I was different. So that I had to, I suppose, be very convinced of the importance of this thing, understanding change. And I was. I suppose you could say that, in in many ways, the country then reinvented itself economically, but socially it didn't. And that Mm. means, for example, in your own world, uh, we neglected our hospitals, Mm. we neglected our housing, and these were basic things that people needed. That's what uh, the the sick and, and and people needing homes and so on. And in fact, the reason I started the housing organisation for small villages was because and got people to save. Because I saw down the road, the houses we built, just to bring it home to you, Mark, the houses we built in the 70s in a small village, my native village in Fife. And
1: I think that's extraordinary, by the way, that that somebody like you with getting a team of dedicated people around you, could build so many houses at a time of of such need. Please tell us about that.
0: Well, I mean, my own village, which was fatal, had only three. This is the mid 70s now, 1970s. Had only three people between the age of 20 and 40. And I went home one night and I said to my brother, this village is going to die. Mm. And from there on, I began to see uh, that there's a need to start something. Could we do it ourselves? Could we revitalise the villages ourselves? And believe it or not, only two weeks ago, I buried a man who was a bank manager in Shannon back then, called Johnny Me. He was a, he died in Galway, so I went up to do his funeral mass. And Johnny was the bank manager in Shannon at the time. And I got this idea of getting people together. I went down to the bank one morning. I said to Johnny, I have an idea. And if it's crazy, throw me out. And Johnny said, that's a good idea. And I said, will you come with me? And we set up a little group to look at it. I keep on saying since then, and I said it at Johnny's funeral a fortnight ago, if I met the wrong bank manager that morning, there'd be no house. And yes, because I met a man who saw that this is good and supported it, that it took off from there. And schools benefited. It wasn't just the houses. Young families mostly went into them. The schools benefited the church benefited the shops benefited so in other words they brought new life the GA benefited I mean mm-hmm. I, I was glad a, a few years later that that's uh, in my native village the chairman of the GA club rang me one day he said they were after winning the under 12 championship in Clare and 10 of them were out of those houses the mm-hmm. young people so that tells the story now I actually believe then that was a way of forward and I was hoping that the powers that be in the state, in the government would, would pick it up, but they didn't.
1: Well, they didn't pick it up yet anyway, <laughs> Harry, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> they need to shine a light on, on your innovation uh, today and look back and, and, and learn from it. I think it will be invaluable. Mm. Can I say to you, Harry, that, you know, and it's something I come across a lot um, in my work as as a, as a family doctor and it's very evident as well, you know, that so many people nowadays, you know, are, are searching for a renewed sense of purpose, yeah. They're searching for meaning, um, you know, to matter in the world and to connect with something bigger than themselves. And what are your views on this, on purpose and meaning in the 21st century?
0: This is huge because, uh, and this is, the, I suppose, the question that I was most interested in now, that... Uh, First of all, let me say to you, Mark, to congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you. Because I think when I read it and rang you, the vitality, Mark, I thought a lot of that, a lot of that. Yes. I talk a lot about values. You have, your book is full of values to me, the value of gratitude, the value of respect for other people, the respect, the value of, uh, the value of creation. The value of inner peace, all these values that are so vital to the man and woman growing up in in Ireland is changing so fast that uh, we need to have a big, big look at them. And then following on from that, I actually, if I could, I go a little bit around about to say say this to you. I was wondering where would I start with you today? And I thought I'd start where I'm likely to end in the conversation. And it's that around that search for meaning and around the search for peace, all kinds of peace, peace of mind, peace in our world, peace wherever we are, and then for the deeper meaning. And that's not so easy to find. So I thought I'd like to, to just do two short prayers that sum up where I am with regard to meaning. Our bishop here, Fintan Monahan, wrote a book, and the book was basically about a Baptist monk called Thomas Merton. And he had two little prayers in it. One was a prayer for peace. And it, was, it started off like this. A day of ominous decision has now dawned on this free nation. That's America. And think of this prayer in the context of the guns. And it said... We are now saturated with our obsessions, open our eyes, dissipate our confusions, teach us to understand ourselves. And it goes on from there. And that in many ways summarizes where I am with that. And then the other little prayer where he says, and he wrote this as well, Thomas Merton wrote this as well. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And that brings me back to why I was happy to do this podcast. I think we have to dig very deep now, because just as we had to go a new direction in the 60s economically, I believe we now have to go and dig very deep for a new direction now, socially, but especially spiritually, and a new meaning to spiritual, and a new meaning to life, because these are the questions. I think the questions that people are asking now are deep and serious and very significant for our future. And I actually believe they're so deep that this could be a crucial time for society because there's so much signs of breakdown in society whatever that is, crime, I suppose, the authority, I suppose, respect for authority in order to that. In other words, I'd be saying that materialism, which is in itself we need it and we will always need the kind of things, the material things, but materialism does not measure the health of our families or our children or our society. I think we need to have a serious look at Connections. What are the connections now that could shape us into the future, both socially and spiritually? And I, I things, and I boiled them down to four, mm-hmm. four connections: connection with inner self, okay; connection with others, sure, family and community and neighbors and mm-hmm. so on; connection with creation and connection with creator. I think those four. Connections summarize what spirituality really means, and they're practical, and they can be boiled down. And that's the challenge for an, an organization like the church into the future. So
1: the four aspects you are saying of spirituality: connection with yourself, in other words, the inner journey, self-awareness, mindful presence, etc. Connection with others, family and friends, and then you said three connection with creation, and number four. Connection with Creator. Could you explain the difference between creation and Creator?
0: Well, creation is the world He created, the world that we we are part of. The Creator is the one who did it, and that's the one. But and I, that's why I think if I, I just said this about that, the Creator. I suppose I would, as a priest, be saying this, but I'm saying it. If I was never a priest, if we need to become aware of a power above and beyond ourselves that maybe through all the kind of material things that we got involved with and had to, that we became our own gods and that we didn't need even authority or whatever. And I, I feel that that God, I feel, is obviously it demands faith to believe in him, and that's not easy. And in, and when we have it, mm. it can be very, very slide for maybe all of us, but it has to be nourished. And that nourishment must take the form of spending quiet time in his presence. And that brings me to the word presence, being present to him and in turn being present to other people. And even if you break, go, move from the presence with God or with Christ, then it brings me to the presence of other people. Just take where we are today. Many people say that when you're talking to others now, they're not distant half the time. We're in a hurry. We're rushing on to other things. We're busy. If we have to steady up now, we need to go into the presence of a power above and beyond ourselves and a power of uh, people all around us. I
1: think presence is a very, very powerful word. And mm. of course, the present moment is all we have. And... You're so right, Harry. So many people are stressed and distracted, and in a world of busyness and perceived pressure to always be somewhere else, doing something else, chasing the next crock of gold, whatever it is. Um, a lot of people are Harry. are not present, um, to themselves yeah. or to those people they're with. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and, and you see, even, and you and I were both involved in sport, and uh, I sometimes think that we need to be very careful that more to life than sport, there's more to life than power and fame, there's more to life than money. And These are all important things, and we all appreciate them, but there's more to life than any of these things. And I suppose where I feel myself now is I'm very happy that whereas we're at a crossroads now, and I think we're at that new, new stage. In Ireland. That I feel what society and the church is now called on to take a serious look at the, itself. And, and uh, I just feel that, I actually feel that we're blessed in the church to have a leader like Paul Francis. I think he's an outstanding man, but he's thrown out the warnings that I think we need to take heed of. For example, he says that we in the church now have called on for new ways of being church, or new ways of being Christian, or new ways of being priest, Starting on the ground. In other words, the council of the 60s was from the Vatican down, was from the church top down. This one is from the ground up. And he's saying the church is now, I'll quote him, this is strong language, but this could apply to other organisations too. The church is now struggling to be heard because it's failing to address issues which concern people, young and not so young. And he condemns what we call clericalism, namely the abuse of power. In this case, abuse of power in the clergy but it can be anywhere. The abuse of power. And he says this. He says we have to avoid the spiritual sickness of a church that is wrapped up in its own world. When a church becomes like that, it grows sick. And he says we have to grow out and meet people where they are, in the rough and tumble of life and living. Mm. In other words, and then... It goes into the depth of that spiritual dimension. I think that that is seriously needed. You see, there's always a danger that we talk about. People are saying now, "I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious." There's a huge message in that. Mm-hmm. People are searching for that spiritual thing in their own lives. But they're not going to the church for it, for the for the response.
1: I've heard that saying a lot. I, I feel spiritual, but I'm not religious.
0: Yeah. But and that's where the church now. And so he has set up the synod last, that began last year. And it's a journey of people together looking for a way forward for a renewed church, a church that will, will link into that, that emerging, that, the, the modern Ireland that has emerged up to now and the postmodern Ireland from here on in and I think that's what society is looking for too something like that
1: well it it really speaks to your thinking about connection and yeah. you know connection being such a key part of of spirituality and i think people are looking for for meaning people are looking for that that bigger connection uh, you know because life you know, I'm reminded of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Raphael Harry, mm-hmm. but uh, he was a great Renaissance artist. He's got this wonderful yeah. painting just off the Sistine Chapel. It's called the School of Athens. And yeah. it's one of my all time favorite paintings. And in the center of the, all the philosophers and wise men through the ages are all re- depicted in this painting. And in the middle, you've got Aristotle and Plato. And Plato is pointing up towards the stars and Aristotle is carrying a book and pointing down towards the ground. And it's kind of like the two ways of happiness and meaning that that Plato believes it's in the other world and Aristotle believes it's, it's, it's here, it's in the ground. In other words, that, you know, miracles are made in the clay, not in the stars. And that's to your point, Harry, about from the bottom up groundedness, connection. Reflection, rediscovery, reinvention, renewal.
0: That's, that's spot on. And that's exactly, I suppose, what you've, I suppose, in, in a way more sophisticated way, you've summed up what I'm trying to say. And even while we're talking about the ground, I felt we started in the parish, in Six Mile Bridge, where I am, to move that direction a number of years ago in a number of ways. For, for example, around May Eve, We started through and right through the summer, we brought gatherings of people out into the highways and the byways. There were masses, but there were masses based on the culture of those areas. Mm. And we uh, we got local people to write up what goes on in this area, whether it's a farming area or a housing estate or whatever else. And we did these right through from almost from May to September. And the other thing that then linked into that was uh, I have been involved in preparing people for sacraments, young people and parents and so on. And I began to see that bringing somebody else to give them a talk was a waste of time, this was in one ear and out the other. So I, I said, I, again, we brought a group together and we said that uh, if we could start a little parenting programme, but organised by the parents themselves, young parents, and what happened was they met in their own houses in little groups of sixes and sevens, and they be, the issues they didn't start. To, in fact, a little a young mother said to me when we were at this began this. She said to me, "Harry, whatever you do, don't start with God." And I said, "No, but we'll get to him." But we started. They, they started with the issues that concerned them, issues like mm. drugs. Issues like bullying, like mm-hmm. peer pressure, all these kind of things. And I'd say we had about just before COVID came, and we'd been at it two years up to that, um, when COVID brought an end to it. We, we based it on the concept of values. What's their values? And, and we got them to discuss these values and these issues. Now, you, we, we went way further than discussing them. Because what we're saying is, how do you together find the solutions? And why I began to see that one of the greatest worries parents have would be from their about 13-year-olds up, where they were, would be seriously concerned, for example, of their children going from the primary to mm-hmm. the secondary school. So that we got the parents to discuss these issues themselves and come up with solutions themselves. But so what I'm saying there is going back to the ground again, that it's that that unit of society, the family unit, that group of people, the parents, young parents, are the shapers of society in the future, and so we got involved big time with them, and we f- feel that the spirit we're going to go back on that now, and feel that that will move into that a deeper discussion on the meaning to life. By the way, the parents loved it. And uh, the parents wouldn't go to a talk, a lot of them maybe, but they came to this. And because and and they created it, because they shaped it, and because they now are moving on to that other dimension, like the deep spiritual one. When I say deep spiritual one, I'm talking about deep meaning. What are the te- where do they find the meanings now? Where do they find the purpose of their own lives? Where do they find time in a busy world? I, I talked last night with a wonderful mother and, and wife and children. Her two children are starting their exams next week. Uh, and she, she was, I could say, she's a huge job in the hospital. And she comes home. She brings her kids out to all the sporting things and the, all the activities of the weekend. And I said to her long ago, where do you, where do you get time i think those parents are under huge pressure
1: i agree i think i think parenting is one of those things that's generally very undervalued by society right. and parents have huge pressures and huge stresses in the modern world i think it's growing up in today's world is very challenging and parents need support i think that's a wonderful initiative a great idea giving mm. parents giving them ownership of the agenda and giving them a voice and giving them a means for connection.
0: I think that's wonderful. And the ownership concept is hugely important Mm. because we have become too dependent on others to come up with the solutions Mm. and very often the solutions are within ourselves. And that's, I think, the key to what we were doing there.
1: And I think you know that 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 idea is so applicable to health as well, Harry. And I often talk about this simple idea about being an active participant in your own well-being, as opposed to simply being a yes. passive consumer of healthcare. And fundamentally, it's taking ownership of your own health journey and appreciating yes. that so much of what you do each day is within your own uh, control.
0: Yeah, and in and and in the course of that, of course, parents who maybe. As you know, one of the things that I would have noticed throughout my life that I grew up in a, in a village where every door was open. Mm. Now everyone is closed. Mm. And uh, in other words, somebody wrote one time that if you want to describe a neighbor now, that is somebody who happens to live next door. But uh, I feel that the, t- the parents taking ownership, they're meeting one another, they're coming up with the solutions together. Tis in a way there's a bit of the mehl in it mm. that they're going back to seeing what can we do together mm. for to solve the problems that are facing us.
1: Mehel is a great word, isn't it? It's really, it's, it's, word, it's, yeah. it's really about us, we together, Nakela. Right. Uh, you know, it's really about right. that—that's spirit, it's spirit, really, it's living spirit
0: within a community. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How do you define leadership, Harry? I I often ask the question. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's a difference, I believe, between managers and leaders. Managers are people who um, get the right things done, but leaders are people who do the right things. Mm. If that makes any sense. But leaders are people with a vision and uh, because people have... People, their leadership would be Mm. value-based. In other words, what's the meaning of what we're doing? Mm. There would be people who would look to that. The market values, without the support, and I suppose I always put this when I'm talking leadership, that the market values, without the support and influence of more noble ideas, will lead to self and sectional interests. Whereas... There will be, in many ways, and and a lot of institutions and organizations will have to believe, will, I think, have to turn to new beginnings, whether it's a bank or a school or a hospital or a church. I think leaders need it, because obviously all these organizations need good managers, but they need good leaders. And I think the recovery that is needed or the renewal that's needed in any of them can't be just repetition of the past. You know, we'll, I think we, we talk a lot about the future in the church anyhow, but in all our institutions that, that have to be a new normal and especially coming after COVID, but to quote Einstein, he said, no problem can be solved from the same level of thinking that created it. And I think that's very wise. And I suppose linked into that, I suppose a little that I I, I often feel that when we, we talk about the future and looking at leadership, there's a saying that I heard one time, which said, the time will come when we won't need preachers or teachers to tell us events will. And I think that time has come. And I think that time is now. And that's where the leadership, the good leaders, I think, would understand that.
1: Absolutely. Leading yourself learning from your experiences and letting your own actions inspire and support others. Harry, in terms of resilience, I mean, it's I think it's so important in today's world. And something I often ask my guests is, you know, what three take homes would you give someone for a resilient mind?
0: I'd say a resilience has to be nourished. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like a quarantine. Mm-hmm. You can train them physically but if the mind is to be strong then that's to be trained to work work has to be done there and that's why I think so many teams you now have psychologists and other people coming into them mm. so I think that thing I think that's word time mm. we're busy busy doing 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 in a hurry and a hurry and a hurry but we need to take time In my case and in our case in the church, meditation is crucial because I find what does that mean? That means that you're strengthening the spirit and the mind and the soul and you're connecting in to what is strong in you, what needs to be nourished in you. Mm. I'd say that's the first thing is give time to do it, to to help you to be resilient. I say as well, understanding the need for resilience. Mm. In other words, we are all take jobs, we get jobs, and we go. But what does it mean to take on something and stay with it? And that's to do with the word belief. You have to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'd say that So I did, this is only evolving as I'm talking to you, but I would say those two things take time to nourish the mind and the soul, take time as well to make sure that you understand that what you do is important, important for other people, like resilience in family life, for example. Uh, Like the young people, young parents would have taught me this, that uh, they they are the young people. We did little survey with the children and we asked them, what would you like more? Now, this is a bit dangerous to say this, but I'll say it. What do you want most from your home and your parents? And they said more or less to have them at home. I know is that covered resilience, but it's that's it's important that kind of idea. In other words, that the training of the body for whatever we do is important, but the training of the mind and the spirit are vital.
1: Yes, because really, mind, body, spirit, emotion purpose meaning. They are all so interconnected. There's no doubt about it. And finally, Harry, for you, and we did touch on it earlier, but I just want to ask you again, for you, Harry, what is the meaning of life?
0: And that's the set we're all all on. And I'd be one of the people who love life. I'd say it is bound around those four connectedness. You have a fairly significant connection with other people and you give them time. You have a fairly serious connection with your own inner self, that you value the creation. That, and we're blessed in Ireland to have such an environment that we have. And then that fourth one is to the meaning to life comes, I think, but again, it has to be nourished with faith, belief in God and the power of God. And I always say this, this little phrase. Mm. When people say that we're too worldly when we think of the world, I'd always think that this God loved the world so much that he sent his son and he must have loved it a lot if he did that. And if the son was to suffer what he had to suffer to bring that message home, that's what I would find, I think, the meanings.
1: Well, Harry, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading, keep challenging keep inspiring and revitalizing everyone who comes in contact with you harry Bone. it's been a pleasure
0: thanks a lot thanks mark
1: thank you thank you for listening to my podcast in the doctor's chair for further resources to support you to live with more vitality please visit my website drmarkrow.com.